Hey, everybody. Host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbV. In each episode, Nora has a real conversation with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they took action to understand this disease. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start Embracing the Journey and learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there. It's just the two of us. So that's okay, because you're here, dear listener. Uh, insert your first name after that. And this is Stuff You Should Know. That's right. Uh, Stanley Kubrick edition. <laughs> sort of. I went to go um, watch that last night. Oh, yeah? And then I was like, wait, I think that's really long. So I looked up the runtime. I was like, I'm not watching this. Yeah. So I've yet to see it. Yeah, watch Paths of Glory instead. Uh, what was that? Is that the one about Barry Lyndon? No, that was Barry Lyndon. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's great, too. Uh, but if you're gunning for early Kubrick, I would say uh, Killer's Kiss if you want to go super early. And then... Paths of Glory, which is the other one he did with Kirk Douglas, mm. uh, the World War One trench warfare film that's great. Okay. And Barry Lyndon, which is just a masterpiece. Wasn't that Ryan O'Neill? Yeah. Boy, it's good. Yeah. He's in one of my favorite movies of all time, Paper Moon. That's right. And one of he my favorite Paper. movies, the main event. <laughs> what was that? Uh, it was a rom-com he did. as a, He played a boxer opposite uh, Barbara Streisand. Was she a boxer? No, okay. It, it was uh, it was not great. I mean, it was fine. It was one of those '70s rom coms. Gotcha, but not one of my favorite movies by any stretch. Speaking of rom coms, but minus the rom part and just the com heavy on the com. Have you seen Eliza Schlesinger's sketch show on Netflix? No, it is very Who good. Is that how do I know that name? She's she's gotten pretty big as a stand up in the last couple of years. Um, she, if you haven't discovered her yet. You're welcome. She's really great. I'm looking her up now, which is something I don't normally do. I don't think I recognize her. Okay. Well, she's got some stand-up specials that are definitely worth watching. And then she just debuted a, um, a season of a sketch comedy show that's pretty good. Definitely worth yeah. seeing. I'll have to check that out. Uh, Ryan O'Neill's not in it yet. But like I said, okay. it's just one season. <laughs> uh, we want to shout out Live Science, by the way. We used uh, How Stuff Works. Uh, article on Spartacus and this great live science article on Spartacus, the real Spartacus, not Kirk Douglas. I also read an article from a guy named um, Kenneth Spartacus, <laughs> Kenneth P. Czech, C Z E C H, like Czech, the Czech Republic, I guess. Okay, maybe that's where his family's from. Who knows? But he wrote an, an article back in the nineties about. Um, Spartacus, that was very exhaustive. That was helpful. And then there's also a, a historian named Barry Strauss, 
who I read some like interviews and articles from him too. He's a bit of a specialist on Spartacus. So shout out to those cats as well. Yeah. So the story of Spartacus, if you've watched this, the Kubrick film, it is not, um, I mean, there are bits of truth in there, but it's definitely not some real truthful biopic of his life. Uh, good movie, mm-hmm. but we're going to give you the real story of Spartacus's life, uh, which is that of a, and the leader of an uprising of slaves who said, Rome, we're not going to take it anymore. Um, no, we ain't going to take it. That's right. We're not going to take it anymore. Listen, Rome. <laughs> I think <laughs> and, that was the original title. I think um, we we met that guy. Well, actually, we passed that guy backstage once, remember? D. Snyder? That's right. He, what show was that? The, the whatever Probst? show? I think it was Jeff Probst, wasn't it? No, no, no. It was the whatever show with... Uh, Oh, was it with the, um, who was that, Martha Stewart's daughter? Yeah, but she has a first name. Alexis? Alexis and, and Jennifer. Right. Jennifer and Alexis. Yep. Wow. Yes. Remember when we were on TV every now and then? Yeah, we'd be on that. We were on Jeff Probst. Do you remember the Jeff Probst show? He was interviewing us and he zoned out so hard. I almost said like, Jeff, are you okay? While we were talking. <laughs> yeah. And we used to, occasionally we'd be on CNN. They would have us on to do like talking head stuff. Yes. And then. Yes. Uh, everyone just sort of stopped caring about us. It's called yeah, we old got news. really po- well. We got really popular podcasting. Yeah, and they just all said, "Huh, oh, well, whatever. We don't need those guys." Yeah, that's okay I'm, though. No, I'm. I don't want to be on CNN or any news network. <laughs> well, yeah, we were on the Soledad O'Brien show. We were interviewed oh, by Christine right. Roman. She's she's like super legit journalist. It was pretty yeah. neat. So is Jeff Probst, right? The tribe has spoken. Yep. And they <laughs> said, who else? Isn't that what he said? The tribe has spoken? <clears throat> yeah. And then he he, that candle. he'd kick you in the seat of your pants <laughs> on the way out. And you would thank God, because what a relief to be kicked off that garbage show. <laughs> Man, it was good the first season or two, I think. I think I did watch the first couple of seasons. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to yuck someone's yum. You, there's probably still Survivor shows going on. Oh, oh no, there are. They, I think the most recent season, they brought together like past champions or past people who got kicked off one of the two and said, who's going to win this time? Yeah, I don't. The only one I do like that is Top Chef, which has still maintained its integrity after all these years and never became dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for a little while, I did that. Discovery had a show. I cannot remember the name of it, where it was like a post-apocalyptic scenario where they would put people in this area <laughs> and like occasionally they would send in these Mad Max type people to mess with them and take their what? stuff and they had to build things and defend themselves. God, what was that called? It was really awful and were, great. Were the people naked? Because I can tell you the name well, of the show if they were naked. <laughs> I, I have watched more than one episode of Naked and Afraid. <laughs> I haven't. Do they just like like blur out their their um, the parts where their bathing suit covers? No, they're completely naked, and it's just shows dong out the whole time. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Like <laughs> no, the Voyager bl- Golden Record, <laughs> it's blurred out. And the kind of the first thing that <laughs> the ladies do is fashion some sort of uh, Eve-like covering. Gotcha on her uh, on her bits, mm-hmm. and the the men either do that or they're just like, hey, whatever. He's the guy at the gym that has a towel like over his shoulder, but not around <laughs> his waist. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, that guy. That guy. Wearing tennis shoes with no socks. 
Yes, a.k.a. men who are proud of their genitals. <laughs> dong out. Good for so, them. So I'm guessing Spartacus was probably dong out. Oh, sure. He was, um, we're, are we back to Spartacus now, you think? Yeah. Okay, so Spartacus was this guy who everyone knows the name of. Uh, and you may even know that he was a gladiator. Maybe you know that he he led a slave revolt. But this guy was really nuanced, really detailed. And actually, even after a couple thousand years of history analysis, you know, falling in and out of favor of different cultures that come and go, he he stands the test of time pretty well, even after being draped in, you know, a lot of people's hang-ups and, like, you know, held up as a, a prime example of the ideals of whatever group are, are revering him. Like, even after you strip all that stuff away and look at the historical figure, he was still a pretty pretty interesting and, and kind of upstanding guy as far as leaders of slave revolts go. <laughs> that's right, and that's a good way to put it. Uh, he was uh, Thracian, which means he is from Thrace. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know a ton about his early life because they just didn't bother recording the history of of nobody slaves in ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. Why would they? Right. Uh, it took him to do remarkable things for uh, historians to take notice with their their quill and paper. And the Romans at the time, this was an area the Thrace was in Southeast Europe, where they were always trying to subjugate this area of Europe in first century BC. And it was just, it was just not a good scene if you weren't uh, sort of upper echelon Roman at the time. No, and Thrace was, um, I get the impression that it was not really one to live under Roman yoke. But I think, I also have the impression that they were, um, they were in league with the Romans, but it was kind of like one of those, you know, we can either we can either be an ally of yours or you can conquer us kind of thing. And right. so I think there was a bit of a tense truce. And there was a, um, a I don't I don't think any contemporary text about um, Spartacus is still around today. Most of the earliest stuff we know about him comes from at the earliest, the first century CE. And he was living in the last century or the first century BCE. Um, so people were writing about him 100, 200 years later. But one of the early, one of those old texts says that he wasn't born a slave and that he actually was a Thracian uh, soldier who was an ally who, who worked in the auxiliary or fought in the auxiliary for Rome. So he was a, a soldier under Roman command at some point. And they think that that he was drummed out of the the army for some reason, unjustly, this ancient author says, and that that kind of led on this path to him becoming a bandit and a criminal. Yeah, he was like the guy in the new Star Wars movies. Which one? Which one? The guy that that was a stormtrooper and then said, you know what, I'm not a stormtrooper anymore. I want to kill stormtroopers. Okay, I haven't, I've seen the... uh... Is the one last of Jedi three? one? Yeah, that's one. Okay, so <laughs> but that was a um, that was like a side story, right? That wasn't one of the the actual canon. No, so the last Jedi was. They made three <clears throat> main ones a part of the canon, and I know Star Wars fans, you have words for all these things. Uh, <laughs> Rogue One was the one that was outside, and then the Han Solo movie uh-huh. was outside, and not okay. outside canon, just not part of the whatever the 
those movies. So Rogue One is the one I'm thinking of that was really good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that one quite a bit. I, the other ones, I, I don't think I've been able to make it through a single one yet. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I like them, but they're Star Wars movies. I don't I don't expect greatness. I just think they're kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I love the first three. Yeah, sure. But not the first three sequentially. Yes. You know, the first three that were released ever. You liked one through three sequentially. Or not sequentially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good God. I'm talking about Probably. The Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the best of the bunch. <laughs> All right, so he's like the stormtrooper guy in these new movies that is no longer a stormtrooper and wants to kill stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets captured at one point, and he gets sold uh, into slavery in Rome. Uh, and then there was this man that – I love this article says a man referred to at times as Vatya. <laughs> I guess that's his name, or maybe he just had a bunch of names. But the upshot is this guy had a gladiator school in Capua, about 120 miles southeast of Rome, and – that's where Spartacus was sent to train to be a gladiator. Yes, in Hawaii. Right. And I feel like we should take a break and get our Star Wars facts straight and come back. Oh, goodness. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. Yep, along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 251292-8887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. So when we left off, Chuck, um, 
Boba Fett had left the army. <laughs> you know, I'm not even going to do that to us. Have you watched Mandalorian? Uh, no, huh? It's good. The one with Amy Sedaris? Uh, <laughs> yeah, she is the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> She's in it, though. She gets to, like, hang out with Baby Yoda, I think. No, it's she is in it. And it's, uh, you know, I, I love seeing her in anything, but it does take me out of the moment just a bit. But it's a fun show. It's okay. kind of like the A-Team. You'd like it. Oh, well, yeah, I probably would like it then. It's like a week to adventure of the week type of thing. Okay, cool. Yeah, I might I might actually check that out. I've been looking for something new. I started Ozark, and I'm like, man, this is really dark. Yeah, where are you now? Fifth episode, I think, of season one. Oh, okay. Just so starting. Like burn through season one or anything. No, I've been taking it slow. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, you've been taking it in small doses here or there. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm through like the first four of the the latest season. Okay. And by the way, correction, uh, I think I said it was like Hartwell. It is like Alatuna. Oh, okay. That makes way more sense. Because I was yeah. thinking, is that Alatuna? Yeah, Alatuna's, you know where Alatuna is. Mm-hmm. Hartwell's up. for Dam is. Yeah, Alatuna, or uh, Hartwell's up near South Carolina. It's not the same lake. Yeah, because I, I have friends, we have friends who um, have a place on Hartwell, and I was like, I don't recognize it, but then I thought I probably wouldn't recognize just about any lake. <laughs> so yeah, same. I just kind of went with Hartwell. It was fine. Or and they're now all man-made. Did yes. you know that? I, from what I learned, there is no such thing as a natural lake in the state of Georgia. That's right. They're all, and most of them are uh, from the Georgia Power Company. Yeah, it's so creepy to me sometimes, too, when you're swimming in a lake, if you start thinking about what's beneath your feet, um, it makes you want to get back on the boat sometimes. You mean like a former town? Yeah, a town or the <laughs> woods or something. Yeah, a car. Oh, man. Oh, man. How do we get so off track? Okay, so we're talking about Spartacus, who has, um, he he left or was drummed out of the army, became a bandit, is captured. And when he's captured, he's taken to that gladiator school that you talked about, owned by a man sometimes called as, call, sometimes referred to as Vadia. <laughs> and... The the thing about gladiators is thanks to movies like Gladiator or, um, I don't know, other movies about gladiators, Airplane, the original Airplane. Right. Um, you We have this conception of gladiators as kind of like this awesome thing. But if you were living in, in Rome around the turn of the last two millennia ago, you, you did not think of gladiators very highly. There were some that rose to incredible prominence, like the rock stars, sport heroes, all mixed together of today. A gladiator could rise to that level, but it was incredibly rare. For the most part, they were criminals, prisoners of war, um, slaves, and they were considered the lowliest of the low, where the the owner, their owner, in this case, Vadia, who owned um, uh, Spartacus, basically said, the only way for me to make money off of you is to make you fight for these gladiator battles um, and and either bet on you or license you or something like that. And, and that was it. But you were like, as far as the, even the, the cast of slaves went, you were at the bottom if you were a gladiator. Yeah. And, you know, gladiators, if you've seen the movies, it's almost always depicted as a fight to the death. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. You could kind of tap out or if they drew blood, sometimes that would be the end. But if they drew blood, that might also be the end of you uh, pre-antibiotics. 
Um, either way, you might end up dead, but it wasn't right. necessarily always a fight to the death. Uh, and like you said, sometimes they would, if you were a great gladiator and a great warrior, um, they didn't know what your face looked like, but you had this cool mask that you were identified by, kind of like wrestling or something like that. Right. Or I guess the Lucha Libre, the ones who <laughs> right. always had the mask. Yeah. But I can't believe we did an episode on that. It's so funny. It was a good one too. Um, but you could be, if you won a lot and you had a cool helmet, you could be a pretty big deal to the point where um, you might have slaves taking care of you and you might lead a bit of the better life. Right. But you're still owned by someone else. Yeah. You were a slave. You were a prisoner of war. You were a criminal. Um, and But when you were taken to gladiator school, it wasn't like you were just kept there and then you were thrown into the, to the ring to fight. Like you were trained. You were put on a diet. Um, you were you were basically put through boot camp and, and you were introduced to the specifics of certain types of gladiatorial combat. And apparently there were a handful of different types and one type of gladiator only fought one or two other types of gladiators. And the type that Spartacus was, was a mermillo, which meant that he fought with a uh, helmet, a very long, um, tall shield, kind of like the Roman centurions wore, uh, used, and then a short sword, called the gladius um and that's what he would have fought with but there were other kinds of gladiators too i ran across a super cool one the uh ready ready uh, and they would have a trident and a net and a dagger so you know like those gladiators that that like fought with a net i think it might have been in mad max or something like that yeah that's sure. based on an actual type of gladiator that used to fight back in the day and again here in the 21st century, we can sit there and think like, wow, this is really interesting stuff. But you have to stop for a second and think, these people were being forced against their will into fights to the death sometimes in front of spectators for the sheer bloodlust of the crowds. That was it. And you can't really forget that because it really puts you in the mind of somebody like Spartacus who has been captured as prisoner, potentially unjustly according to an ancient text, and being forced into this life of fighting, sometimes to the death, for the, for the, the joy of the wealthy crowds who came out to see everybody. That's right. And that's why Spartacus looked around one day and said, guys, we're, we're here at Gladiators University. <laughs> right. And I know that sounds super cool, but I see where the end is for all of us. Mm -hmm. And that is dying for the uh, entertainment value of rich Romans. And what do you say we get a group of us together, like maybe 70 of us, we get the heck out of here and let's, let's do it guys. And they all said, that's a great idea. I don't want to go die in a ring. So they got together in 73 BCE, they hijacked a caravan that uh, just happened to have a bunch of gladiator weapons and armor. And they said, hey, you know what we are? We're a little uh, army troop all of a sudden. Think about the luck that that took. Like they broke out. They overpowered their guards with meat cleavers that they stole from the kitchen and um, broke out. And as they were breaking out, they ran across a supply truck of gladiator armor and weapons. I got the feeling that was targeted. That was not the case? No, it happened to be coming in as they were leaving. And they were like, oh, we'll take this. Or else they encountered it on the road headed to the gladiator school. The timing was really fortunate. Well, 
at any rate, they got all this gear and all of a sudden they were kitted up. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the people he was with was with his wife. This lady uh, sounds very interesting. Um, like we said, we don't know a lot about uh, the actual historical record. We don't know her actual name. Mm-hmm. But Plutarch uh, was a writer who wrote that uh, Spartacus's wife was a prophetess who was possessed by ecstatic frenzies that were part of the worship of the god Dionysus. Yeah. Which, you know, you know what that means. She she liked to party. She did. That was the party cult for sure. And she apparently was one of the priestesses of this cult in Thrace. She was Thracian as well. Ecstatic frenzies? Yeah. I'll bet that was cool. Um, But she, her name apparently is just totally lost. No one has any idea what her name is or what became of her. They assume that she probably died alongside with Spartacus. But um, she, being a, a prophetess, a priestess, s- apparently foretold his rise to power, even while he was a slave in the gladiator camp. Like, she lived yeah. with him there. Um, I guess while he was sleeping one one night or day or whatever, a snake coiled itself around his head. And she was like, well, that doesn't happen every day, and I'm pretty sure that Dionysus has something to do with this, so my husband's going to be pretty important at some point, but he's also going to have a very unfortunate end, too, that the snake foretells. And it turns out she was right. That's right. And then she said, so I'm going to go have an orgy with all these people. And drink some wine <laughs> with some goat goat fellas. So uh, these these dudes, this little kind of, for lack of a better term, battalion all of a sudden, they start to train mm-hmm. for combat. They're near Mount Vesuvius, which... Don't don't be afraid of the volcano, everyone. This is about a hundred years before that happened. Isn't that creepy though to think like this historic thing took place and they were tromping all over Vesuvius to have they had no idea what was coming just like a century from then? Mm. Oh, I like I don't it. Know. I think it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but Mount Vesuvius at this time, uh, what we're saying is it was lovely and it was lush and there was you could farm there, it was very fertile, it was covered with vines. Mm-hmm. And they were down there training, and eventually Rome takes a little bit of notice, uh, although they weren't seriously worried mm-hmm. yet. Uh, they were hiding out, and they were training, and one of his uh, co-leaders, this guy Crixus, who kind of factors in as one of his big uh, co-heads of state, I guess, yeah. and uh, Oanimaus? <laughs> I think so. Onimaus? No, I it's think you had e. it the first time. There was like an extra syllable in there. Oh, really? Yeah. But the this way you said it the second time sounds better. Well, we'll just stick to that. Okay. Uh, they would go around and raid uh, for supplies. They would recruit slaves. Eventually, and we'll see later, they got so popular that they could even get non-slaves to join up in the rebellion. Mm-hmm. And Rome was not super worried yet. They kind of heard about what was going on, but they were busy. They were fighting in Spain. They were fighting Crete. They were fighting in Southeast Europe. And this little ragtime group of former slaves wasn't that big of a deal. No. So the fact that they were fighting elsewhere, like Spain and Crete, that meant that their greatest military leaders and those military leaders' armies were away. They weren't in Italy. And like you said, at the time, they weren't taking Spartacus and his his runaway slave band seriously at all. But they did, you know, take enough notice that they sent a praetor there. And a praetor is like a a very high up elected official right under council, which is, I think, the highest elected official in ancient Rome. So they were really super high up. And actually, they might have 
been laterals to the councils. I'm not sure. But it was a very important person. But it, I, th- I get the impression that he was a very um, kind of low on the scale of important people because they sent him with a few a few Roman soldiers and said, hey, when you get to Vesuvius, just recruit some locals to, to go fight this, this band of runaway slaves and uh, be back by dinner time, please. Yeah, it was, it, you know, love the National Guard, not knocking them, but it kind of reminded me of, you know, sort of sending in the National Guard to take care of something rather than the Marines storming the beach. It's basically the story of John Rambo in First Blood. I Trust me, I thought of that more than once. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Brian Dennehy, by the way. Uh, when? Like last week. What? How did yeah. I not hear that? I think it's just sort of been under the radar with everything going on. Was it from coronavirus? No, just uh, I think he was like in his early 80s and just, uh, just passed away. Well, R.I.P. for sure. He was good. But I definitely, I definitely thought of Rambo a lot while I was reading this. Uh, the difference <laughs> is, was that Spartacus had a team... Um, to aid in his uprising, and Rambo was, of course, a, a one-man army. An A-team, if you will. <laughs> but at any rate, they didn't send the best of the best because they were all busy. Uh, Glaber's little army, they they said, you know what? We're not even going to attack Spartacus. We'll just block off the route up to Vesuvius. We're going to pitch our tents. We're going to hang out and get drunk, and he's going to starve to death. And that's kind of going to be the end of it, so we think. Yeah, you said Glaber. Glaber is that praetor. Um, his name was Claudius Glaber. He sounds like a, an inept kind of person that you would send to take care of. Oh, know. send Glaber. Exactly. <laughs> his name is just too close to Glaven. I think so. So um, Glaber said, he. yeah, it's exactly what you said. He posted a couple of guys on the road to Vesuvius, the only road in or out up the mountain. Um, and then the rest of the the group is at camp. And so um, Spartacus and his band are, they know that they can't get down this road, but they're also not about to starve at the hands of a guy named Glaber. So they actually fashion rope and rope ladder out of the vines that are growing up on Vesuvius, and they climb down the mountain to a different spot, and then come up behind the, um, the the guys who are guarding the road, kill them, sneak into the Roman camp, kill all of them while they're bathing and sleeping, and have done two things. They just wiped out the um, soldiers of a praetor, a very high elected official, and they just captured a Roman camp with all of its supplies, all of its weapons, all of its armory, um, and these were really two really big first strikes, if you'll allow that. And I will. So noted. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and it, it was a really big deal because, you know, word gets around. And for the first time, slaves in Italy were thinking, wow, there's actually some place we could go. It's not It's not like the, uh, in America where there were slaves in the south mainly and they could escape to the north. Right. It was just like that all over Italy. So they had no, uh, they had nowhere to go. They had no safe harbor, no quarter, if I'm allowed. I will allow that as well. <laughs> and they said, wow, we got a place we can go. We can go join up with this guy, Spartacus. Um, he's out there sneaking up on, on Glabers and killing them while he's taking a bath. Right. And they're like, that sounds pretty good to me. I want to get in on the fun. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was this historian Irwin from um, Murray State or uh, if it was part of the article, but somebody says at some point um, that, uh, and I'm sorry, not Irwin, Aaron Irvin is the name of the historian, but somebody says at some point that those slaves, because they had nowhere to go, like you were saying, but also because of the way that slave uprisings were brutally dealt with, that oh, they, sure. they very frequently didn't even re- require supervision, that they would, um, that there were whole rural areas and towns that Spartacus was moving around to um, where the slaves vastly outnumbered the freed people. And um, they were able to sustain that disproportionate um, population distribution because the slaves in Rome had such little hope of any different life than what they had. And so, yeah, like you were saying, Spartacus provided hope and something different. And um, all of a sudden, his little ragtag band of slaves and their slave uprising suddenly became a very large slave uprising. And in a really short time, they attracted something like 40,000 slaves from these rural areas up around Vesuvius and in northern Italy, I think northeastern Italy, um, that they would just run away. And now they had a place to go, i.e. Spartacus's camp. And they would join up there and show up with like kitchen knives and farm tools and stuff like that. And they would be trained in combat. And now all of a sudden it goes from this ragtag band of gladiator slaves who had escaped to something that looked a lot like an actual rebellion. And that's what Rome started to think that maybe they were dealing with. Yeah, and I, I get the ideas around this time that Spark- Spartacus becomes kind of an idea, um, even more so than an actual human being. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when the, the word is getting around, it's not like the, the newspapers had front page headlines or anything. <laughs> you get these whispers and you get these stories and uh, the spark of hope among the slaves and this idea that there is this rebellion and he's a great boss. He splits everything right down the middle and he's not some awful leader. He divides all the spoils equally and he's getting non-slaves to join up because even if you're like a, you know, you might not be a slave, but if you're a very poor farmhand or something, uh, it might look appealing all of a sudden because you're not part of the elite Roman kind of upper echelon class. Yeah. So, the idea that he was splitting the spoils with people, like, that's huge. And apparently oh, that yeah. stands up that um, basically all of the ancient sources agree, like, this guy took all his plunder and distributed it. He didn't keep it for himself. He didn't turn himself into a king. Um, and he was running around freeing slaves. And, that you know, that's one of the reasons why he, he did, like you said, become a hero or a, an idea and a hero that still to this day groups kind of latch on to. So he's attracting more and more people. Um, one of the things, one of the ugly truths about this is that when they were going around to these small towns in these rural areas, freeing slaves, getting them to join their ranks, um, there was also a lot of plundering going on. And they were not merciful with the slave owners who own these big, enormous um, estates that they were plundering. They would um, engage in rape. They would engage in torture. um, They would engage in murder. And from what I saw, it wasn't Spartacus that was doing that, that he actually commanded against that, but that his army had a mind of its own in a lot of cases, and that they would they would be pretty merciless and brutal with the um, the freed people 
who whose stuff they were taking. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they were like, no, you rape and pillage. That's what you do, right? That's what that's how it is right now. Hmm. Um, even in the movie Spartacus, he uh, he refuses to take part in that. So there are a few things, you know, that that Kubrick. Um, he didn't write the screenplay. That was actually Dalton Trumbo, but he uh, he he had that in the movie. So there were bits of truth throughout, for sure. Right. So this is going on. Rome finally is like, all right, we got to really deal with this guy. Can someone can someone please go kill Spartacus for me? <laughs> right. So Glaber they, Glaber sucked so bad, right. you guys. We got to get a non Glaber in there to take care of business. And they did. They sent um, Publius Varenius. And yeah, get he, that Publius guy. <laughs> he was another uh, praetor. So they're sending like pretty important guys um, along with their soldiers. And um, Varenius, he was almost nearly captured, which would have been enormous. He was so close to being captured that I believe Spartacus himself stole the guy's horse. He got his, his horse. And which guy was this? Varenius. P- okay. Publius, Publius Varenius. Um, and that was a huge... Uh, black eye to Rome that like not only is is this you know band of runaway slaves you know it will like able to engage Rome in battle but he stole your horse and your insignia and and almost got your guy that was a big deal and so all of these these victories with each victory Spartacus's legend just grows and he's able to attract more and more people um, I think within a year that um, historian Kenneth Check says within a year, maybe a little more than a year, there was as many possibly as 125,000 freed slaves uh, or slaves, escaped slaves and commoners um, who had joined Spartacus's army. 125,000. And he started with 70 gladiators the year before. Yeah, 70, not 70,000. Right just to reiterate. <laughs> yeah, no, that's worth saying. So spring of 72 BC, uh, Spartacus has these troops. Uh, some of them stay in the south with his buddy Crixus. And then he said, the rest of you come with me. We're going to head toward the Alps because it's lovely this time of year. And I think at the time, uh, who would they, oh, these guys have great names. Uh, Rome sent armies led by Lucius, Gellius, Publi, Publicola, <laughs> Pepsi-Cola, and Gnaeus, Cornelius, Lentulus, Claudianus. <laughs> Those are great names. Wow. Those guys were councils. So they were the highest elected officials in Rome. In, yeah, they in may all have had as, as many as like 20,000 guys uh, put together. Mm-hmm. Like this is serious business at the t- at this time to go take care of Spartacus. Yeah, I think when he almost captured Varenius, that was that really caught Rome's attention for the first time. Um, unfortunately, these two consuls—what were their names again, Chuck? <laughs> uh, let's just call them uh, Publicola and Claudianus. Okay, fine. Um, they were no better equipped to fight. Uh, Spartacus either. I think by this time he had he hadn't come close to 125,000 people yet, but he was up to 40,000. And both of um, both of the peaches uh, and herb, yeah, peaches and herb, nice. Um, they underestimated how many troops he'd had. They also were unaware that he had wintered um, 
in the, I think, the north of Italy and had spent the winter stealing horses and building up a cavalry unit, which they had no idea he had this. Um, and one other thing he, he put to good use. So remember, this guy's potentially a Roman army veteran from Thrace, which means he's familiar with guerrilla warfare that the Thracians practiced and conventional warfare, which the Romans practiced. And he's like commanding tens of thousands of troops to, to great effect, built a cavalry. And he also, so like some of those commoners who joined up, who weren't slaves, but they were not well off and they wanted to fight the, fight the power. So they joined. Um, they were usually like herdsmen or shepherds or something like that from local areas who knew the, the areas really well. So he used them as scouts. And um, Peaches and Herb had no idea that this, again, this band of runaways, slaves, had turned into an actual, like, legit army under the command of somebody who knew what they were doing. And he ate both of them alive. Yeah, well, it actually was, um, it was kind of tough because Peaches went down there uh, to the south where Crixus was Mm -hmm. and killed him with a lot of the rebels. Mm -hmm. And then... Herb came in from the north of Spartacus where he was headed toward the Alps, uh, came, you know, he was ahead of him. So he came south from the north right? and he came in and Spartacus was basically trapped between these two armies that had better equipment, better weaponry, better armor, uh, more munitions and food and water and everything and right. wine. Right. And they had no idea that this cavalry was waiting for him that he had been working on. It was kind of his little, uh, kind of his little Trojan horse in a way. And they had never seen anything like it. And he beat Peaches, I think, or was that Herb? Now I'm all confused. He beat Herb. <laughs> okay, he beat Herb and got all of the, uh, the supplies that Herb's army had. Mm-hmm. And then it was it was on in a big, big way. So I misspoke. By this time, yes, he probably had close to seventy five to 125,000 people in his army. But... They had split off because Crixus, who was one of the gladiators that you just mentioned, one of the original gladiators he broke out of the gladiator school with and who basically co-operated the the army with him, um, he apparently wanted to split off and take it straight to Rome, wanted to attack Rome. And Spartacus's whole thing was like, no, 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 let's go north to Thrace, out of Italy. We can... Be, we can build our army up even better there and either just hang out in Thrace and be great, or maybe then we can come back to Italy. And they had a disagreement. They had a falling out, um, and they split up, and Crixus took 30,000 men. And like you said, I don't remember if it was Peaches or Herb who got him, but the Crixus and his men were, were killed. But simultaneously, uh, even though Spartacus later beat the, both of those guys, he had just lost 30,000 of his troops which is a pretty pretty big troop reduction, especially basically overnight. Yeah, but he still won in the end in that battle. He did. Uh, he fought very bravely. He rushed uh, either Peaches or Herb, uh, broke them down, captured their supplies. Mm-hmm. And then we don't know for sure if he defeated uh, Herb or not or if they just retreated. But at any rate, that was sort of the end of them and they were allowed to go on to the Alps. Right. So... You want to take another break? Yeah, let's take our last break and we'll uh, we'll wind it up here with the last stand. Okay. Stand. 
Hey everyone, host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. Yep, along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start, embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 251292887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. So Spartacus is not only now beaten praetors that the Romans sent. He's beaten consuls in their armies. And Rome is flipped out. I don't know if they knew that Crixus, who, by the way, was a Celt, which I find immensely interesting. But Crixus, um, I don't know if they knew that he was coming toward Rome and that they just narrowly avoided being attacked by that contingent. But it was definitely on their mind that Rome was left unprotected because, remember, the best generals and the best their best armies were in Spain and Crete. Um, and there was a really, really angry group of um, impoverished and, and escaped slaves who, were, who had assembled themselves into a pretty respectable army, um, possibly coming toward Rome. Yeah, and Rome was on thin ice at this point. I mean, they were still super powerful, obviously, but um, they make a good point in this article that they kind of relied on the fact that everyone thought they were great and was super scared of them. And they had these big, scary armies. And once they started getting these defeats and once they started getting defeats, especially at the hands of a former slave who was leading this kind of ragtag team uh, that was revolting against them, Mm -hmm. there was a little chink in that armor and Spartacus is out there winning battles and everyone hears about this. And that's a big, big deal to Rome. All of a sudden they seem like they're defeatable. Yeah. Which if you are, if your society includes slaves and the slaves are kept in line by the idea that you are undefeatable. 
That's right. And so they're they're they seem like they're defeatable now. Their best armies and generals are away, and they couldn't really find anyone to really take care of Spartacus until this guy stepped up. He was uh, a wealthy praetor named Marcus Crassus, and he said, you know what? I've got the dough, and I'm a pretty brutal leader in my own right. Maybe you've heard of me. And so I'm going to finance this army, and I'm going to go kill that guy. And so if there's a villain in this story, it is Crassus. He was a terrible, terrible person, possibly the richest person Rome has ever seen. Um, I read somewhere that he— he would go to places that had caught fire with his own personal fire brigade and would negotiate with the owner of the, the house or whatever um, to buy it. And if, the, if they would negotiate at just an extremely cheap rate to sell their house that was on fire, then Crassius, or Crassus would have his fire brigade put it out. If they didn't negotiate or sell, then he would just leave with his fire brigade and let it burn. He was that kind of guy. Crassus was like, hey, man, this place is on fire, and I'm offering to to buy it from you. Right, it's a fire sale. You should should take this. Yeah, but if they wouldn't, if they'd be like, no, this is completely unacceptable and immoral, he'd be like, all right, see you later, and his fire brigade would leave. That's just not good stuff. That's the kind of thing that if you do that, people continue to talk about it in a negative light 2,000 years later. On some dumb podcast. So Crassus, you also might recognize his name. He was part of the first triumvirate with um, Pompey and Caesar. He was the third guy. Yeah, I remember that name. So um, so Crassus steps up and he says, you know what? My father uh, got a triumph, which is basically like a, a military parade for a, a great military victory. And I've always been envious. I want mine. I'm going to make mine the defeat of Spartacus. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to finance this army. I'm going to go pick up some of the other armies that have been defeated and kind of left scattered around Italy and reassemble them. And there was one in particular. I think it was um, the army of the praetor who was almost captured, Verenius. Some of his people ran away. And Crassus got them together. I believe 500 people who had been accused of desertion and running away during battle. And he brought out of the old steamer trunk an old technique for keeping your troops in line called decimation chuck, which is a word that we've misused for years on this podcast. But this is the real deal that he was doing. Yeah. And I don't think we've been misusing it for years. I think it's now part of uh, popular terminology, just to not necessarily reduced by 10. Okay, fair enough. But what he did was he said, okay, all of you 500 break up into 50 groups of 10. And in every group, all 10 of you draw lots. Whoever draws the shortest lot gets executed. And he executed 50 out of 500 deserters in front of his troops to basically say, hey, let's get that morale up, everybody. This is what happens to you if you don't fight valiantly. And that was the kind of leader that he was. So he's a, a real jerk in business and a real jerk on the battlefield, too, even with his own troops. And a very selfish lover, from what I hear. He really was. He'd be like, well, that's it for me. Good luck to yourself. <laughs> so he had a real bee in his bonnet to get uh, that victory parade. He goes and chases Spartacus all over Italy. And there was some infighting going on, which is what can happen a lot of times in a rebellion mm-hmm. if you don't keep everyone's spirits up. So that kind of weakened his army a little bit. And so in a last-ditch effort, Spartacus said, you know what we need to do is we need to go kill Crassus in front of everybody. And that's that'll do the trick. If everyone sees Crassus is gone, you cut off that head. Maybe another one will not grow up in its place. Yeah. 
Uh, and that didn't work out for Spartacus. Uh, he was actually cut down in battle. His army was finally defeated. Uh, they hunted down all 6,000 of the survivors of the army and crucified them. Uh, he was not himself crucified like in the movie Spartacus. And there was never that great moment in the movie, the I'm Spartacus moment. That never really happened in real life, unfortunately. Um, they never found his body, which is sort of a uh, a sad end to this um, to a leader who did some pretty great things for a little while. But not really, though, because I read he was last seen. He was really close to Crassus. He was headed to Crassus to kill him himself. And he, I think, killed two centurions in hand-to-hand combat on his way to Crassus before he was swarmed on like Hollywood style and cut down by like just a mob of dudes who overwhelmed him. Which, and if that's you, not a sad end? No, if you're living by the sword and dying by the sword, that's the way to go for sure. Okay. I bet you he would have preferred to kill Crassus. Sure, than, uh... I'll give you that. But if he was never <laughs> fated to kill Crassus, if that snake coiled on his head and foretold that he would never right. kill Crassus, that's the way to go. Well, in the end, uh, he is gone. His rebellion is squashed, but some good comes out of it. Uh, Rome kind of says, you know what? This taught us a great lesson, which is maybe we should listen to the lower class a little bit more. Uh, it wasn't some huge sweeping reform change or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like sugarcoat it, but there were a number of reforms that were passed that did strengthen the voice of the people as a whole. Mm-hmm. And they had a little bit more say in their government because they didn't want another Spartacus to come along. Yeah. And then over the years, like many thousands of years later, like I said, he was kind of held up as like this hero, this ideal. So like the abolitionist movement in the United States held him up as a hero because he was known to free slaves. That was how he assembled his army. And he wasn't necessarily freeing slaves for the ideal of ending slavery. He was freeing slaves to help build up his army. Um, But I'm sure there was a certain amount of like, this is a good thing that these slaves are no longer slaves when they're, you know, with me, that he must have entertained at least. And then later on, like you said, Dalton Trumbo wrote the script for um, the 1960 movie directed by Kubrick on Spartacus. And Dalton Trumbo was blacklisted from Hollywood because he was a communist or he wouldn't name names. I can't remember. And Dalton Trumbo wrote that script based on a novel written by a guy named Howard Fast, who had written the novel in jail because he wouldn't name names on the McCarthy hearings. Um, And so Spartacus kind of became like a a hero of Marxists because he freed slaves, he overthrew the oppressors, but he also took the oppressors' wealth and redistributed it among, you know, the lower classes, which Marxists are just bonkers for. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, There's plenty more about Spartacus, gladiators, all that stuff. This is really thick stuff. And this is stuff you should know. It's not what we do. We just kind of give an overview. So if this floated your boat at all, go look up Spartacus, start reading on him, and you will be fascinated. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this uh, wastewater operator. Oh, good. Or former, now retired wastewater operator. I see. Hey guys, just finished listening to the episode on wastewater treatment with a critical ear. Having worked for over 20 years as both a WW lab analyst and operator, while I understand you are aiming for the least uh, knowledgeable common denominator in your audience, I feel like you did a disservice to all wastewater treatment plants and their employees by failing to mention that every treatment plant 
in America must abide by strict regulatory permits issued under the Clean Water Act tailored to the needs of the of the specific facilities uh, influent. Uh, your words make it sound like we in operations made our own decisions as to how clean the water, uh, how how clean is clean enough, and that cannot be further from the truth. Um, I want to stop here because I don't feel like we did that, did we? I uh, We certainly didn't mean to. I don't think that we were just like, you know, it's up to techs who's running the levers to decide what's clean enough. If we did, sorry, we definitely don't think that. No, we didn't think that at all. Uh, in my position as analyst, I perform an average performed an average of 30,000 standard laboratory tests per year to maintain permit compliance and support operations. That number increased dramatically when there were operational upsets, process changes, influent variations, etc. In addition, operators collect and analyze process control samples several times per shift for the same reason. Um, I, th- I think we knew that stuff was going on, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sound defensive, but... Did this person listen or just say, oh, I see this title. Here's all the things they're going to get wrong. No, I I think they listened. Okay, good. Uh, I wish to thank you for attempting to educate the public on the vital role clean water and sewage treatment play in the health and prosperity of the United States. I firmly believe this is what truly makes America great. You don't hear people saying they need vaccinations and antibiotics to fend off waterborne illness when visiting the United States. Uh, sorry to rant on. I appreciate your time. Thanks for reading. And please put out a big thank you to all wastewater treatment operators uh, about whom nobody is paying attention, but whom everyone needs. And that is from uh, Ann Danielson, retired operator and analyst. Thanks a lot, Ann. That's good stuff. And yes, agreed. If everyone doesn't know that we need wastewater treatment people, and they're not paying attention. So hats right. off to you and your colleagues from us. Agreed. Yes. I know that there's a... A lot of work and analysis and testing, and uh, if we didn't hammer that home enough, then we are now. Yeah. Well, if we missed the mark on something or you just want to add something or just want to say, hey, you guys nailed it, nailed it. We love that. You can get in touch with us via email. Wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, everybody, if you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions.